Hello. Welcome to another episode of the Tome to the Weather Machine podcast. We are back from a bit of a self-imposed break. Our time and attention has been turned to the worldwide protests around systemic racism that the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and countless others have sparked. We've seen and participated in massive marches, direct action, and seen a turn towards using whatever platform people have to raise money or bring attention to these issues. We don't want to go back to normal. But as music is a sustaining force in the perpetual struggle, I'll slowly begin releasing more podcasts and being a bit more active in covering music again. This interview with electronic musician Matthew Riles was recorded before everything hit the fan. Matthew has a new single coming out called Days Like This that is being released this weekend. In this interview, we talk about Matthew's childhood in religious, rural Southern Baptist home, discovering classical guitar, and his move into Euro-rack electronic music, and his recent embrace and experiment in creating pop music using modular synthesizers. Enjoy. Welcome to the Tome to the Other Machine podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Hall, and I am talking to Matthew Riles in New York City. Where exactly in New York City are you talking right now? Uh, uh, I'm actually in East Williamsburg, uh, staying at my girlfriend's place. And during the weekends, that's how we kind of see each other while still pretty much socially distancing. Cool. So you live in New York now. Um, are you, you're not originally from New York though, correct? Correct. I'm actually from uh, very rural uh, Arkansas. Got uh, it. The deep South. Where, where about, like if anybody has any Arkansas reference points, where, where mm-hmm. exactly are you? Uh, people usually will think of like Little Rock, right? That's a city most people will know, but I'm really not Bill close Clinton. to it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like two and or I was like two and a half um, hours north, kind of in the northeastern area of Arkansas. And how small? Yeah, there's are we... really no local okay. towns. Uh, there's I can't really give you a city <laughs> that's nearby. So, yeah. so how small are we talking? Like uh, um, under twelve hundred. Well, where I went to like elementary school and stuff uh, is like that is sort of a town. Um, with some neighborhoods and a couple of shops. And it's like um, maybe 600 people. I think it's below 600 people, so very small. Wow. And then I actually lived like um, 10 10 to 15 minutes outside of that by car and uh, down a gravel road, like just in the country, in the hills. And the population of that area was like, you know, 30, like very small. So yeah. in o- in Ohio in Kentucky, um, as you're kind of like going up into the hills, we call them hollers, mm-hmm. right? Where there's a couple <laughs> of like uh, like houses kind of spread around, but it's kind of like a cut in the hill. Is is that kind of, or was it more kind of like I I, I don't know Arkansas's geography at all. So this I'm just kind of yeah. transplanting my kind of rural Kentucky brain to like Arkansas. I feel like that's pretty close. Um... The travel with the traveling I've done, Kentucky feels like uh, more hills, more rolling hills and mm-hmm. stuff. So not quite as hilly, um, but similar. Yeah. And and so, what were you doing out there? What, um, your had your parents lived there for a long time, or did they move out there for work? Or yeah, my mom was uh, from there, um, or actually, my mom's family was from there. And she was raised, she, she lived, uh, mostly was raised in uh, Indiana somewhere, also rural kind of area. Um, but uh, when my parents divorced when I was really young, I was from Dallas, Texas originally, but they divorced when I was like five. And my mom moved back to where her family was after that. And so I ended up in Arkansas at a really young age, like five or six. Got yeah, it. five. Okay. And so what kind of, uh, what kind of industry is out there? Like what, what did your mom do? 
Uh, she didn't work. She mostly raised me and my brother. Uh-huh. Um, and she eventually remarried. Uh, I think there's like a there was for a while like a lot of factories mm. um, in various places, and of course farming uh, and things like that. Factories and farms, probably primarily. Uh, my stepdad is a truck driver, um, like kind of a more local one, not one that travels all across mm-hmm. uh, this the country or anything, um, doing things like gravel and stuff like that. So, gotcha. Yeah. So you so living growing up in a really really small southern southern town, um, what was like the political religious climate? I you know being someone <laughs> yeah. from the west, you know like. I just, that's kind of what I imagine it being a pretty stereotypically red, stereotypically Christian kind of environment. Was, was that kind of your place and was that your, was that your home? Like was, did you kind of grew up yeah, under that pretty kind of much. schema? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, my parents were, uh, well, my mom especially is like very religious, um, uh, Southern Baptist kind of. Uh, although at the time I didn't really know if that's for sure what it was. Like I knew that that we, that we were, I was being raised like Baptist, but in the South, they kind of separate like Baptist from Southern Baptist, but mm. they all are kind of Southern Baptist as far as I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. And they all have the same sort of format to their services as far as I can tell and the same kind of, um, uh, messages and stuff. Um, but and my mom, I, it took me a while to understand it growing up, you know, but I realized that, yeah, she was um, Republican. I remember like in the second grade, she voted for Bush and most and some of the people I knew uh, voted for Clinton or something like that, whatever grade that was. And yeah, uh, I remember doing those mock elections, too. And, and being like, <laughs> well, I don't know who who's who's mom voting for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you had to like kind of uh, exactly. Yeah. And you had to. Um, maybe there was some type of mock election thing and you had to choose a side and everybody chooses their parents' side. Yeah. And I remember hearing other kids choosing Clint, uh, uh, Clinton and I was like, what? <sighs> I was like, offended, even though I had no idea, you know, yeah. what any of it meant. Uh, I just remember being like, whoa, there are different opinions. Yeah. Hope you like <laughs> yeah, hell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my mom was, yeah, very religious. Uh, um, everything was through the church uh, growing up. Uh, my punishments were based in the church like you know if i did if i did something wrong the punishment might be like you're going to go talk to the preacher or something like that Mm -hmm. it was really conservative we went to church three times a week wednesday night sunday morning sunday night um yeah pretty intense and were they like did you guys have like youth groups that you'd go or was that like all services uh it was all i guess it had like a Sunday school class in the beginning of of the Sunday services and then they had their main worship service yeah and my parents barely missed one sure yeah barely missed yeah it was pretty torturous actually as yeah. A kid growing up. <laughs> yeah it doesn't sound too unfamiliar from like my religious upbringing I grew up Mormon um and oh uh, wow. yeah so a lot of church all the time uh, and and if I did something wrong, I had to go talk to our our bishop and you know talk to this uh, you know sixty year old guy who sold real estate. You know, <laughs> like my my <laughs> deepest and darkest uh, you know uh, sins or whatever. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. fucked up. <laughs> Hold on, where was uh, where did you were, you said the West, right? Yeah, where, where uh, were you from? Colorado, uh, little oh, okay. just like outside of outside of Denver. Yeah, cool. so. <clears throat> growing up in that, um, growing up in, in that environment, w- was what you could listen to musically like controlled or influenced by like the church? Um, the earliest stuff I was listening to, um, like just being a little kid, there's a lot of videos of me like playing random instruments and and uh, singing along to songs, and those videos are what I think of right now. And uh, yeah, it's it's some of it's actually church music and stuff, or or like um, whatever c- sort of like contemporary gospel like music, you know, like like those older men groups singing songs. Okay, yeah. I don't really know what that's called, but that kind of southern gospel like stuff. There's some clips of me like kind of singing along to some stuff like that, 
uh, but the first stuff I started listening to, um, my parents didn't listen to that much music, actually. Mm. You know, yeah. they weren't real musical. My mom, though, played the piano in the church, um, which she didn't really play too much at home. But the earliest stuff, the earliest, earliest stuff was just whatever my parents were playing. It didn't, I didn't really take, I didn't start listening really on my own until like nine, 10, 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was like the stuff that you were listening to control, was there stuff that was like off limits to you? Like oh, yeah. Up? Yeah. Yeah. When I first started buying like uh, CDs, actually, I, I was right on that verge where like, there were still some cassettes in shops. Yeah. They oh, were yeah. sort of like fading out. Yeah. How old are you? I could grab a couple, 34. Same. same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the first yeah. music I ever bought was on cassette. Yeah. 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 And, but my mom would, we, I remember like um, going, like buying like some Metallica tapes or something or CDs. And uh, uh, if they had parental advisory, it was, I was probably not going to get it. Right. So, so, um, I remember like I would, we would go to like a Dairy Queen or something and my mom would make me open up the tape and she would read through the words right then and there and start crossing them out if they had curse words. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Um, I have a, a same story. Um, I'll, I'll get to it in a, in a second. Um, but what drew you, like being kind of in such a deeply religious home, like what drew you to something like Metallica? Um, I think this is like the fourth grade or so. And my friend, Kevin, who had a little bit more freedom in his, um, uh, childhood in his home, um, had somehow stumbled upon Metallica. I think it may have been a cousin or something, Mm -hmm. but really, uh, he was my best friend at the time. Kevin was, is really responsible for those, those really early musical influences. And Metallica was one of them. I can't remember the first one. Actually, the first one I heard, I think, was, I want to say, like, Master of Puppets, you know? Okay, yeah, yeah. Great yeah, album. yeah. It could have been, it could have been, uh, it could have been Load, you know? Mm. could have been, like, an, one of the, one yeah, of the things that, that would have been technically kinda, new at the time. That era, Even though yeah. it was still, like, several years old at that point. Yeah. It was still, like, newer. Um, but hearing that like changed everything it was like really intense it was fast it was heavy but it was also like you know you know not compared to what obviously we listen to today so much but at the time it felt also really expressive and original mm-hmm. um it connected with me you know at that time and so kevin that best friend showed me a lot of stuff and was it just metal or was it other stuff as well um at the same time, uh, pretty soon I was hearing things like Pink Floyd. Okay. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. So kind of a, a story similar to what you, you described with like your mom crossing out the, the, the lyrics. Um, so <laughs> and growing up religious, you know, kind of all about like the shame-based parenting, right? And, yeah. and I, I have a, you know, I have a great relationship with my mom, but, um, but <laughs> after years of therapy, no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, <laughs> Nothing uh, wrong with that, of course. Yeah, yeah. So I remember this. So I remember buying CDs, and I would hide them. And I thought, which <laughs> I, I thought was like the most ingenious place. It was like between my bookshelf and the wall. And one day she's in my room cleaning, and she finds all of my like forbidden CDs. And uh, so this was probably like seventh grade. So it would have been, well, no, this would have been ninth grade. So uh, minor threat, um, like, uh, like, oh, like lag wagon, like mighty, mighty boss tones, um, (laughs) you know, kind of stuff that I, I had kind of accumulated. And I remember, so I was really big into minor threat, uh, because they made like being straight edge cool and as somebody you know as like somebody who didn't drink at the time and you know didn't do drugs at the time you know like I it was a much cooler identity to say like no I'm straight edge than to say like no I'm Mormon and I'm can't 
<laughs> and so, um, you know, so like a, a song like, um, like uh, in my eyes and like, um, uh, yeah. So like a lot of those lyrics of those, um, like or straight edge, you know, like those of those minor th threat songs were really empowering to me because it's just like, yeah, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't fuck. At least I can fucking think, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, so she found them, and and I remember walking into my room, and she's sitting on the edge of my bed, like reading these lyrics, and I'm just like, oh no. And she's like, Ryan, like, you know, she gave me a long talk about how where this music is gonna take me. And, um, oh wow. And so this is the most fucked up thing. So uh, I had listened to, or I'd been to like a youth camp right where a speaker had talked about um you know like feeling the spirit and then going and smashing all of his cds that had like bad lyrics and stuff like that as like an object lesson of like you know how to be pious and righteous or whatever whoa and so she didn't ask me to do this but i did this i oh. smashed those cds out of like oh. i chose to do that Jeez. <laughs> that's how like that's how deep like that's how deep like the shame and like guilt uh like wow. ran for me and so yeah and then like i presented it to her you know like in this like like bag just like look like you know <laughs> i you know i i've learned my lesson or whatever but then i kept Man, on buying that... it and then and then by like <laughs> You know, a, a month later, I'd forgotten it, and I was like, you know, I was gonna say like, how yeah, long did it get, take getting, you to start getting into like again? Victory Records and you know shit like that? So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man, I have such a similar uh, story. Um, I will say that like, my, I I actually never once I turned the corner and started listening to music on my own, I never like uh, looked back. You know, um, it's kind of funny. Like, whenever I was like, I think maybe ten. I actually, for the first time in my life, really was sort of like, I am religious. Like, I was like, I am. Yeah. I mean, I had, you know, just believed it up to that point, but I hadn't really looked that much into it. Or really, actually, I had, but I hadn't really said, like, I am like a Christian or something mm -hmm. like that. But right around 10, I was like 100% convinced. And a lot of my friends were like getting religious at that age, you know, getting saved and all this mm -hmm. stuff. And um, so I felt really behind, you know, they already had been or whatever. So I was like trying to be like, oh, no, this is serious. I got to take this under my wing. And then um, uh, and then right around then is when I start hearing like, you know, music, uh, you know, like Metallica or whatever. And I uh, uh, really quickly started questioning things. You know, also smoked pot really soon around that same time. Okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, started questioning things quite deeply, and uh, never looked back. But similar story, really quick, is uh, in the fifth grade, I got my mom um, found like cigarettes, some of my music, lyric notebook. I can't remember which came first, and if these were separate finds, but I, but I remember getting caught and getting grounded. You know, um, and uh, I remember her finding like Marilyn Manson CDs. Oh wow! Uh, so some of them I really, you'd really gone down the dark side. By <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was, I was a pretty rebellious kid, you know. When you consider my upbringing, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first, honestly, the first time I ever listened to Marilyn Manson was last year. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, not that good. There's some okay stuff. So I, mechanical <laughs> animals, I think, is a fucking brilliant like record it's yeah. like david it's like ziggy stardust um yeah that's true some of it is great there's some yeah. masterpiece records uh here. but like he's also a piece of shit so <laughs> i don't i forgot that record of his that i really connected with at the time um probably antichrist superstar was well no that was a little bit that was more like middle school yeah was there like was something around portrait, there though. portrait of an american family and then antichrist superstar yeah yeah so so like so so you said that like once you started listening to this music, like you never looked back. Was that like yeah. meaning that like you know you had this like religious epiphany at the age of ten? Is that meaning that like once you started listening to that, that like maybe your beliefs started changing about yeah. like God and Christianity and stuff like that? Um yeah. by being exposed to kind of this other types of music? Yeah, it was pretty radical actually, because here I am, like for the first time ever being like, I am religious. And then mm -hmm. within probably one year, I was like, I'm an atheist. Yeah. 
Whoa. But uh, so, actually, mean, at it, the time, I was It just goes really. to show. I mean, it just goes to show. Like, you are, like, living and breathing proof that, like, if you start <laughs> listening to that kind of music, you will, you know, you will lose your faith and um, yeah. end up on the dark, dark path. Dark, <laughs> I, path. dark path to synth pop. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I, I was saying those things, though, at the time just to scare people, like scare friends, you know. Um, it was kind of fun. Uh, but I saying that you're atheist. Yeah. Or saying like, um, that I believed in Satan or something like that. Oh, wow. I actually oh, wow. really didn't become like, you know, not religious or atheist, um, until like, I was like 14 or 15 or 16, you know, I, I would start identifying as atheist around 15 or mm -hmm. so. Um, before then I was just like, I don't know. I was trying to work it out. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. My, um, my, like my descent into like whatever I am now agnostic atheist or whatever mm -hmm. uh it was a slow burn but it had lots of loops back in um <laughs> it, and a lot of those were like music based right because I would associate overwhelming emotional experiences with like feelings of the spirit so like the first time I heard Arvo part I was just like oh my god like I'm having this spiritual realization the first time I ever heard John Coltrane's A Love Supreme same wow. thing. Sigurosa's on title number three. Same thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. Slow descent, lots of looping back. But So did those uh, really powerful listening experiences actually bring you back to religion or separate? Well, separate yeah. So I don't know if it's the same with, with you, but definitely within Mormonism, it is basically if you feel an overwhelming emotional experience, mm -hmm. that is God confirming to you that what is being said is true. Oh. Um, and so I was in kind of really impressionable places when I heard those. And so I associated having those emotional experiences with like God reaching out to me, right? And so like at least validating like that aspect of my life. Um, so now looking back, I'm like, looking back at those experiences, I, I, I kind of have reinterpreted them as like, just being aware of like, you know, these, big, broader, you know, uh, like feelings of connection towards other people and to the world around me, um, instead of like trying to shoehorn that into this religion that I didn't believe in. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 grow, so you, you took a, so being a cautionary tale of uh, <laughs> <laughs> why, why you shouldn't let your kids listen to Metallica and Marilyn Manson. <laughs> um, when like so being like did you grow did you go to high school in in like this in arkansas yeah the the same uh the the elementary school and the junior high slash high school were uh the same campus but oh, sort wow. of separated yeah yeah. yeah yeah really small like my graduating class had like like 50 people damn and how did you discover music like how are you getting um, how are you like learning about music and and then corollary to that like what were some kind of big musical discoveries in high school yeah I mean I wasn't you know like I was saying my best friend uh, like around the fifth grade or late fourth grade is when I really started getting things that were changing my life like what I was hearing um, and this and it's put me on the path to just find as much as I could but at the same time like I was also the type of listener who would listen to the same record for mm. Oh, I mean, you know, hundreds of times, right? And just keep listening to it and and study an artist. So like, um, but I wasn't getting that much stuff. Being very rural South, I mean, listening to Metallica was real weird. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. I mean, um, but so the Metallica was like the first band. It's why I started playing guitar uh, growing up. And I so I got in a band. Okay, at, so that was your first eleven. That was your first instrument yeah. was guitar. Yeah, actually, I wanted to play guitar at 10, and my parents finally got, got me one when I was 11 for my birthday. Mm -hmm. And so I was sort of already in a band without even having an instrument. And then, so, and so were the other members, really. We were like, we're in a band. We're a and band. then we started, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we started slowly getting equipment. Like Kevin, that I mentioned, he got his guitar first. Then I got the guitar, and our drummer got a drummer. Our bass player, like, never got a bass. And then, like, in the 11th grade, he finally gets one, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, uh, Hey, I have a bass now, and we're like, um, you know, it's, it's been, that was like five years ago, man. <laughs> but but uh, I remember some some musicians along the way um, that were real influential. 
uh, Pink Floyd was huge, like whenever I, a few years after Metallica or so. Um, uh, a lot of heavy bands at first, like Pantera. <laughs> I was I was going to ask if you went through a Pantera phase. That seems like every Southern kid's kind of right of passage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, not real intensely, just like one record was really mm-hmm. cool. Uh, some of the other stuff just felt, I didn't like it enough. It wasn't special enough. I remember, um, I'm not going to be able to put them in order that much, but sure. like Silverchair. Okay, yeah. Uh, Bush. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, all, those were, yeah, big MTV bands at the time. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like uh, some of the same music that I was getting was sort of what Suburbia might get, but like, but different still, like even less far out mm-hmm. um, that I could find. Um the the big second thing though that I discovered um, was Tool. Okay. That was huge at the time. Wow! And that would yeah. have been like eighth or ninth grade, probably yeah. ninth. That yeah. that was tremendous change though. Just opened your third eye. Just <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, suddenly, you know, I mean, Pink Floyd already had long songs and stuff, but hearing like fifteen minute songs that was really different stuff that actually took on the subjects I was really interested in, like mm-hmm. religion and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, they, it was like the music that was directly telling me it's okay to question this stuff and to question it further and stuff like that. So like that album, uh, Lateralis was like mind boggling to me, you know, it changed the band, the music the band was making at the time. Like cool. we started getting weirder. <laughs> yeah, started dropping acid and <laughs> uh, So I, did, I never got into Tool until like, so, Last year was like a big year for me getting into Marilyn Manson um, and Tool. And I actually saw them here at the like big amp, you know, like the big like hockey arena here in Cincinnati. And it was amazing. <laughs> I, I loved every, every second of it. And, That's awesome. And I, because of, okay, so it's kind of a, my wife's uh, co-worker's husband like took me and like got my ticket and stuff like that. Wow. So I had to like, I had to do it completely sober um and which was still like an it was an amazing experience but man i yeah uh i i i kind of appreciate that kind of now sort of like the the more kind of psychedelic aspect of of that band yeah Uh, but it was still yeah it was so good i haven't been to like an arena rock show uh like that for god forever and now like i'm like once like once things get back to normal or like whatever whatever happened like let's say an alternate universe kind of restarts and we're like back where we were pre-covid yeah. i'm like man fuck diy shows like i'm just going to go <laughs> to like stadium shows from here on out like if you don't have a fucking road crew and uh like projections and a like 10 minute drum solo like i'm out like only arena rock shows for me from here on out yeah yeah um i actually tool is maybe i think tool is the first arena band i ever saw and it's a crazy story like me and my friends snuck out and this is before i have a driver's license so i want to say like 15 (laughs) and we went roaming his his town which was like about 15 minutes from where i lived also Mm -hmm. really small kind of similar um except for it was an actual town like not Mm -hmm. the woods and we just walked around until we found somebody older than us who would take us. And I was going to pay the ticket. It was all lunch money, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Lunch money that I'd saved up, like $2 here and there. Um, my mom would give me like $4 to eat lunch, but it was like $1.50 to actually do, do it. Yeah, yeah, you could do it on two. It's like, all right. Yeah, yeah. A corn so I, dog and-, <laughs> <laughs> and so I would save. And that's how I bought everything at first, like my second guitar and, and all this stuff. But I... Um, but we we got a ride, made made it to Tool late, and uh, but still like that was life changing experience, you know. Awesome. Um, yeah, but but growing up in a band was huge, um, and uh, I played it played from eleven all the way I think until like nineteen mm. in in essentially the same band, but had a few other side projects growing up too. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, awesome. One thing I didn't answer though is you were talking about other music. Um, I remember King Crimson being really important for a little while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I think of any other bands, I'll let you know. But cool. 
Yeah. But I can see there's obviously a, a through line between King Crimson and Tool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so when did you when did you leave um, this like this small town in Arkansas? Um, whenever, uh, whenever it was time to go to college, like I didn't, when I, when I graduated, I had done zero preparation for college. Mm -hmm. Um, part of that is sort of like none of my parents went to college. Um, or at least my stepdad and my mom, my dad actually did, but I didn't really have much communication with Mm -hmm. them growing up. And, um, uh, I sort of was figuring it out in real time, like what to do after after high school. Like I knew a tiny bit about college, but the way my school was, it was sort of like just sort of a pipeline to go to factories or sure. to work for your whatever your parents did. Right. And if you like came from some money, you might get a little bit more guidance. Like, um, you know, we think you should go to school and the counselor might talk to you a bit more about it. Um, but even I was basically figuring out with the help of a few a few people who were sort of mentor like uh, at least a little bit um, kind of I ended up at a community college um, a technical school for in Arkansas couple, yeah in a, in a town like 20 minutes away and somebody who really is helpful and I'm so thankful for is somebody there like an advisor um, I just told her I wanted to study music Mm. And she made a phone call to Arkansas State University, which is like an hour away from where I grew up um, in a town called Jonesboro, uh, Arkansas. And uh, she uh, she just called up the music department and told them about me. And within like two days or a week or so, I was like having an interview there. Oh, my God. And learning about the the composition department, which I didn't study composition. I studied classical guitar. But um, and guitar and all this stuff. I never read a note in my life. I was really frightened. And every time I looked up a little bit of college music stuff, it seemed way too intense, like I could never get in. Um, but yeah, so I ended up going to music school. And that took me an hour out of our, from where I was from. Yeah. Okay, so, so, going to, so going to college, studying music composition, were you exposed to, um, like what were you exposed to there that was really meaningful to you at that point? Well, uh, knowing nothing about music, like I became like a sponge. I mean, right. I grew up listening to music yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. all my life was. was music. Yeah, yeah. But like I didn't pay attention to shit, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in high school. I was just like writing poetry and listening to music, right? But, um, but when I went to college, I was like, I am a student now. And I just became like a sponge. And so a lot of it was classical music, mm-hmm. like uh, from anything from names we've all heard of, like from Bach to Beethoven to more contemporary stuff too, once the classes sort of exposed me to that. Um, and so I was really into uh, what I was studying and taking it on full throttle. Like, and I thought I would actually try to pursue a career as a classical guitarist. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I started quite late compared to those people who really practice intensely from like the age of six a lot of times or 10. Um, the, uh, but some musicians that come to mind, um, of course, like Cage, uh, that was great. All kinds of contemporary stuff that I'm not going to think of the name of right now, Takamitsu. Mm-hmm. But, but um, that kind of stuff was you were, you were being exposed to in college. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Some like as a direct result of a class, some because my teacher, my guitar teacher was into really far out music of all kinds of styles. And he um, and he recognized that I was too, of course, in my own way and where I was from based on where I was from and stuff. But he was um, exposing me to stuff that was really far out, Um, just, you know, uh, just contemporary classical stuff like Schoenberg and (laughs) and atonal music and stuff like that and that stuff was really important and really amazing to me and still is Mm -hmm. and then when did you um because you moved to cleveland at some point yeah master's degree right so you get your your did you go pretty shortly from arkansas to cleveland yeah as soon as your master's okay yeah um and what was your what was your master's in cleveland in classical guitar as well okay i wanted to uh, Cleveland has a school called um, Cleveland Institute of Music, which is a pretty top-notch conservatory. And when I made it in there, I was like, I have to go. 
And because, uh, you know, almost all my peers there uh, and colleagues were, you know, mod fairly came from pretty wealthy homes, like almost the entire school. Sure. And almost all of them have been studying their instrument from the age of five or six, like with, you know, maybe a few exceptions. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so to make it in there was felt like a huge accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm not reading a note until I was like 19. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and so making it in was really cool. And I wanted to have this like hardcore conservatory training. I like wanted to go to army for army school for music, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so that was, that's why I went there. But I also got really burnt out mm. uh, studying at a conservatory. Sure. Yeah. You like hearing the same music come from all the practice rooms and being like, oh God, like starting to really get wanting to make my own music again and stuff like that. And so when did um, you start making more of the electronic music that I guess I'm, I'm aware of and I guess people would be aware of your music for? Uh, definitely um, at right towards, I started making music again, like in between I know it sounds crazy to be like in music school and not make music, but I was mostly being an sure. interpreter, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and playing a lot of music, but not really writing it. And um, I did play in a couple little bands here and there, but primarily I wasn't that serious about it. Uh, but at the in, in the summer in between my two years at master's degree, I started playing, uh, earning my master's degree, I started playing guitar um, for myself a little bit again and recording little bits of ideas and things. And they were kind of singer songwritery guitar stuff, but they were really like minimal and a little weird. And, uh, but once I was finished with my master's degree, one of the first things I did, and it was like towards the end is I bought two monitors and an interface. Okay. And, and like, I already had a MIDI keyboard for like, just for some reason. And, um, and begin making music. Yeah. And then, so that was, um, so th that was when you, and did you stay in Cleveland for a while after your this master's? This is like 2013. Okay. But yeah, I did, I did stay uh, in Cleveland for a while. Yeah. Gotcha. And then when did, when did that kind of take a turn into the more kind of electronic music that, you know, we're aware of? Um, so in like 2013, when I'm starting, I like get an acoustic guitar and I am like, I'm going to sort of take this classical stuff I've learned to be a sort of composer, but make songs with it and um, maybe sing, maybe not, but it's definitely probably guitar and voice bass. Mm -hmm. And it didn't take too long for me to not really feel very inspired with a musical instrument in my hands. Mm. I don't know why. I think just from practicing like six hours sure. a day for so long. Yeah. And, uh, and I started uh, sampling things. Um, I think it's because I was hearing like, some uh, music that was largely sample based mm -hmm. from anything like in the more mainstream like early James Blake stuff to um, uh, just all kinds of things that seem like they were probably sample based uh, <laughs> very digital sounding music mm -hmm. and stuff and I uh, so I started just sampling things like the very I remember taking like some bunch of ending bunch of endings of like Seeger Rose songs <laughs> where the guitar is just fading out and like until it's like almost silent and like taking like 20 songs and sampling that little tiny bit before there's almost no sound left at all of, the, of a guitar or something and using that as a sample to make an entire song from you know and, or taking one note from an organ piece of like a Steve Reich song uh, piece and making an entire song out of that. But I got into this sampling process of just mm -hmm. making music out of one note of something or, and that's actually where, how I made like this really early EP. I was going under the name of sound for mm -hmm. a few years and I made this EP. I don't think anyone should listen to it, but it's called feel out EP. <laughs> it's called feel out. And then I made one called weekend Sonata and that one's a bit better. I like some stuff on that. Um, but those were entirely sample based. I think there's like a little guitar in the first thing. Uh, yeah. And, and then, so you, you were hearing stuff like Seager Rose, Steve Reich. Uh, can you, can you think of any kind of, um, more like sample based or electronic musicians that kind of like, kind of blew your mind and, and, and made you, made you kind of want to 
pursue that a little bit more um maybe like compositionally um probably fortet a little bit you know yeah i mean yeah huge sample i mean yeah master sampler actually definitely fortet um was a early influence um around those years you know i had just come out of listening to a lot of 21st century experimental composers Mm -hmm. and so like whenever I was coming back to listening to a little bit more popular music, but it needed to be weird, but not too weird. I want to, it was like, that's what was sort of influenced me at the time. Like the stuff that sort of has one foot in the left field world and one yeah. foot in like kind of very accessible stuff. Was it that, uh, was... that Love Cry record? Yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah. it was it's not the name of the song or the, or the record. What was the name? can't remember the name like that's the song and then yeah, the record the, is the first song on that record similar. yeah yeah that um is incredible um and have you heard his his new one that just came out oh yeah. yeah that's great yeah yeah and uh then i got into synthesis shortly after okay that. but it was really like two or th- two years or so of working with just sampling once i mm-hmm. discovered that and then um, got really into synthesis. A lot of that was like, uh, I started hearing more UK based like dance music, um, stuff like Border Community, which isn't real dance, it's a little experimental, but um, uh, Luke Abbott and James Holden. Um, and just a lot of stuff I was like, uh, just, I would tap into like UK radio, just like uh, where you download a link and add it to your iTunes and just listen to it. Um, and like what's that really well-known radio station uh, bbc all right no um it's like mostly dance music oh i don't know uh, i'm not gonna think of the name right now but i was i listened to that a bit and anyway i was just really influenced by by kind of left field dance stuff cool yeah and so when did you start um incorporating like your rack into creating like these dance songs I think I wanted to as early as like 2014 or 2015, like pretty soon, but I saved up a while just to get a freaking case. And I don't think I really started, I think I had an empty case somewhere like mid 2015. And then I didn't put anything in it until like a few, like maybe late 2015. And so I think I started doing my earliest little um, experiments in like late 2015 with the modular yeah gotcha and i got into it really because like i wanted to get hard some hardware you know like a a great synthesizer but i didn't really want it to sound like some like a june like a jupiter uh whatever or a um like some type of profit or something even though i might like the sounds of those synths i didn't really want that and so whenever i learned about the modular synth it seemed perfect because you can kind of build your own Mm-hmm. switch things out and in the border community people were using modular sense so that was a huge influence and uh yeah and then when did you uh when did you move to new york um 20 2017 three okay. about three years ago okay wow almost three years ago. yeah and so since then it sounds it seems like you've really kind of been exploring um, kind of creating dance, kind of more pop-oriented music, um, you know, using modular synthesizer. And um, w- have you found a community there in New York that is um, that is open or th- that is kind of championing this kind of kind of more pop-based, uh, like pop-based music that's kind of coming out of like an experimental or like left field orientation? Um... There, yeah, there, but there are there are a lot of there's so much music in New York. Yeah, and there's a lot of different worlds that are very separated. You know, like I have friends who are more in the free jazz, free jazz like world, and whenever I go to a show of that, it's just completely different people. You know, and um, and completely different venues and completely different parts of town, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and uh, so and, and so it's like electronic pop versus like more underground techno or underground mm-hmm. dance music. And uh, I think I've, I find myself going to 
just a whole lot of avant-garde, like weird shows, um, DIY shows, um, free jazz shows, a lot for like the listening experience, like sitting and listening and stuff like that. Um, often at places like Issue Project Room and like kind of art gallery kind of places. Um, before, you know, this happened, I was going like two or to three shows per week. Yeah, yeah. Um, and But then going to just a ton of, you know, clubs. Um, really that my New York experience has been going to clubs, especially yeah. the first two years. <laughs> so when, when, when I came out there and we, we yeah. hung out, we went to uh, the Bossa Nova Social Club. Which yeah, still, yeah. I'm, I, still, I still try to describe to people what that drink was. That they, it was like that like pop, but they like poured vodka in it. Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's Bossa Nova Civic Club is the full name. Civic Club. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to remember. I always say Buena Vista Social Club. I get those two confused. Yeah. Yeah, and then the drink is uh, the tea that they have. Um, oh no, can I look it up really? Quick? Yeah, go for it. All right, I got it. Hold and on. and is, and is it like, like that, like that place like serves that drink? Yeah, but I mean it's gotten really well known okay. and. Uh, now you can i think you can even buy it on like Am amazon cool yeah um what is the name of this drink gonna find it i'm gonna find it can you edit out this pause yeah no oh here we go here we go uh white label uh herba latte mate. got it <laughs> herba latte mate. Herba, herba mate latte yeah white white label mate Got it. Um, it's so funny. I haven't had this in a little while because of uh, because of you know the situation. Herba mate soda, and um, it's great. I mean, it's, it's a great drink. And then if you drink alcohol and you drink a little bit and pour some in, almost everything tastes good with it. <laughs> so, so going to a lot of like dance clubs kind of has been kind of a big part of of your living in New York experience. Um, yeah. Has that kind of bled over and, and influenced your your music that you've put out? Yeah, it's kind of funny though. I think I really was making my more like beat oriented music um, before I moved to New York, but there's still parts of that that are there. I'm just messing with it way more, so it's not as clear. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, although with my with the releases that are coming out now, you know how like when you release something, by the time it gets out in the world, you're now yeah. onto a new process and yeah. a new thing. So there, when I yeah, my first year and a half of New York, I was making what is being released right now, probably. Got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, it's a little more pop and it's more dance, um, which yes is influenced from New York for sure, but it's also this desire to um, to try putting my voice into the front for the first time for a while yeah yeah and um i think you know you when you're in new york uh some the some of the ways music stands out is being extremely expressive and individual uh being really unique and not that i was trying to be unique but one way to put your self into your music more is by putting your voice into it and so I was really intrigued, like, what happens? Not really, like, let's get successful by putting my voice in front. But what happens when you put your voice in front, especially with a modular synth uh, being the supporting instrument? And, um, you know, what happens if you create a pop song with a modular synth? Because it's weird. It barely stays in tune sometimes. And uh, it's very quirky, has all these little issues. And then what if you perform a pop song live, especially with stuff that barely has memory like half the stuff i have to create on the fly while singing <laughs> and so it's like a big experiment i feel like most of the stuff in my history is is just big experiments you know mm -hmm. it's not and that's probably a flaw in in the way i create because i don't stick with something for very long uh but yeah well i think there's enough of a i think there's definitely enough of a through line um through through your work and and, and so so these two so these singles that you've been putting out um, you know, with part of me and then the two new ones that you've just, mm -hmm. you've just released, you said this was created like the first year of your, of like living in New York or kind of like the impetus of it was like, starting yeah, around it was right around like a, a year living here. So okay. I guess right after the first year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of yeah. taking up the, yeah. 
and and so these have kind of been you're moving into more of a like a like putting your voice at like the forefront of the composition mm -hmm. um with all of yeah with the incredibly fickle um <laughs> modular synth as kind of the you know doing everything behind you um how is that um that's been in you said that, that was kind of an experiment so that's kind of kind of where you were at the time um and sort of what you were kind of using to sort of challenge yourself um or kind of just see what that would be like to do mm -hmm. a you know a pop song with using modular synth um how like so you've released these three singles yeah, um, one one doesn't come out until the fifth okay uh, june the fifth so, so these yeah. two singles right so um like do you have more of that or have is that just kind of been like focusing on these like singles that you're putting together not necessarily like an album you know mm -hmm. of like the conceptually like based songs um how many more do you have kind of in the in the works i have um a couple more things coming out this year okay the artwork's done the mastering's done and i'm just waiting to put them out for a little bit longer because it's also like a um, an experiment i've never put out singles, singles before yeah and it just felt appropriate for this music because some of it does go together but some of it doesn't mm -hmm. and uh i thought about some an ep and a few singles um but actually some of the stuff coming out later are double singles so gotcha. two tracks yeah and so with your with your lyrics and and voice sort of being up front how has that changed your relationship to like these songs because in some ways it like it's on the upfront it's a lot more personal right yeah um how has that been in terms of like performing those songs or just kind of like just sitting and like living with those songs being out in the out in the open <laughs> uh yeah it's definitely harder because you judge your own voice more mm. yeah <laughs> but um yeah, there were times where I was like, almost didn't release this stuff. I was like, it sucks actually. Uh, but at the same time, I did, I put in like a lot of effort, um, you know, um, and telling when you're using words and you're singing, you can tell stories that are very personal. So that, but that, that I never really felt too uncomfortable about putting mm -hmm. out. But also though, I wanted to improve my production game. Mm. And you know how pop music is like just incredible production. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, like I, I was listening to so much pop stuff uh, just for inf getting influence, but mostly really to hear the incredible production. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, like PC music, like production stuff. And even like, you know, they're a little bit left. They're quite experimental for it, for pop songs. I mean, that's sort of their thing. But, uh, but hearing things like also like, just like Lord, like her, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, she's working with top notch, you know, mixing engineers and stuff. And it's, it's really great uh, to, to listen to that and just take away those things as much as you can. And I got help with the mixing on a lot of this by Carlos Hernandez, um, uh, who's a guitarist and singer in Ava Luna. Okay. Uh, do you know that band? They're sort of like a- They're like a synth pop group? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. And they're, a, they're, a, they're pretty ex experimental, but it's still pop songs essentially. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they had a studio at Silent Silent Barn mm. before they shut that down, mm -hmm. and um, called Gravesend Recordings, and now it's in like Dumbo, and Carlos and I think maybe the drummer as well like do mixing for people and things, and he mixed, he took my rough mixes and did like four or five tracks for me cool. that are part of these releases. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, which was huge because I mean I wanted to learn. How yeah. to improve my mixing, you know, and I feel like I did learn a lot from this stuff. It's great those sessions. So what what is next? Um, you said you you know like you've you've released these. These have kind of <laughs> been an experiment. Is there have you kind of moved on to something else, or is, is something else kind of like taken this need to kind of try something? Yeah, uh, right now my stuff that I'm working on is uh, quite different. It's very abstract. It's um, pretty left field. Uh, it's really hard to probably hear the dance music influence in there, mm. but there are moments, but the rhythms are very loose. Um, there's, uh, there's still vocals and some stuff, but a lot of, a lot of times it's processed in the modular. Um, I actually, some stuff coming out that's in this 
pop song kind of zone is also the voice goes through the modular. But the stuff that I'm doing right now is a lot weirder. Um, and, and to be honest, it feels like uh, more me. Um, I went a little bit farther than I probably wanted, like not wanted to, but I went a little bit farther by pushing myself and trying things out into the pop zone than I probably ever will again. I don't know. We'll see. But um, but I know for some people, like my version of a pop song is probably way too weird. So hearing that is funny. And then for other people who listen to really weird music all the time, they're probably hearing that and being like, this sounds like shit. This is way too poppy. But uh, um. Nonetheless, I, uh, what I'm working on now is a lot more minimal, too. Um, sometimes it's just the modular synth. It's very rhythmic, but switching time signatures all the time. I'm ex exploring different scales, really experimental approaches with the modular. Um, I, and I think it, it feels more me than anything else I've done before. But at the same time, I think that's what artists think about everything that they're currently working on. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. Well, I. I think that kind of brings us up to like the the present day. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. A anything else like you'd like to plug or anything else? Any any uh, last uh, any last thoughts? Well, June fifth, I'm releasing Days Like This, the third release of the year, um, and it's a lot of modular. It's a lot of vocals. Um, excited to have that release. Um, my partner Joyce did the artwork. She's an incredible motion designer and uh so i'm really happy to got to collaborate with her to make this cover and uh, i'll be posting about it soon in places i've hinted at it a little bit but that's coming out june the 5th i'm playing um for this dance company's um performance series coming up also june the 5th uh live stream that i'll post about on my instagram uh, but those are my two immediate things. And I have some upcoming releases later in the summer, probably. And I'm working on what I think is an album. <laughs> we'll see. Cool. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, Matthew. It's really nice to catch up with you again. Hopefully yeah. next time, you know, I'm in uh, New York or you're in Cincinnati, we'll be able to, to connect again. That, that would be awesome. I have some more places I have to take you. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I, last time was so much fun, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Yeah.